You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spade. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for coming and spending a little bit of time with us here as we worship the Lord. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. Now, last week, we began a new series, uh, a new series on the words of Jesus. Specifically, we talked about what he says about discipleship. We saw Jesus begin to teach his followers how to become disciple makers only after they recognized him as Messiah on the one hand and as God's son on the other hand. This week, he begins to go into the detail of what it means to be a disciple maker. So we're going to read uh, one of the passages here from the second half of Matthew. It's a very simple, straightforward passage. comes from Matthew 18, the first four verses. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and he put the child among them. Then he said, he tell you the truth, Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never uh, get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's a very straightforward passage. And it's one that I dare say you've probably heard before. The disciples start everything off by saying, who's the greatest? That is a very interesting question, isn't it? I wonder what it was that they were really asking. There's there's kind of two ways that you can look at that question. One of the ways is uh, you can say, whoever is the greatest? Uh, counting you and me. Uh, what, it, what does it take to become the greatest? I don't think that's what they were asking him. I think they were asking a different question. Now, the reason I say that is because right in this time frame, the disciples were talking to each other about what the pecking order among themselves was going to be. Who of the 12 of them was going to be number one? On at least three different occasions, they talk about this. We uh, find it in uh, Mark chapter 10. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and they said to Jesus, Teacher, We want you to do us a favor. And Jesus, being pretty smart, (laughs) said, uh, 
what do you want? <laughs> Before I agree to do you a favor, let me know what it is that you're looking for. And they said, when you sit in your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right hand, one on your left. Oh. <laughs> That's what they were looking for. Who's going to be number one and number two? Then as far as three through 12, you know, we don't care much about that. But as long as we're one and two, it'll be good. So that's one of the places. Then just a couple of chapters later here in the book of Matthew, Jesus actually teaches to the Pharisees and his disciples on this issue. He says to his disciples, but in front of the Pharisees, don't let anyone call you rabbi. <laughs> now he says that in the presence of the Pharisees. What did they call the Pharisees? Rabbi. That's what they, it, it means my great one, literally in Hebrew. Don't let anybody call you rabbis because you have one teacher. All of you are equal as brothers and sisters. Don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, that's two. You know where the third time is? It's during the Last Supper. Here's Jesus getting ready to leave. And during the Last Supper, they began to argue among themselves about who'd be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they want to be called friends of the people. Among you, it'll be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Okay, three times. Right here in the same time frame. About uh, several months that Jesus is with his disciples. And they're arguing among themselves about who's going to be number one. And every single time, Jesus says, no, you got it wrong. I don't want you to be fighting about who's going to be number one. I want you to learn that you've got to become like a child. He takes a child. He puts the child in front of them. And he says, you have to become like a child to be in God's kingdom. Now, what do you think he meant? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, you have to become like a child? I've heard a lot of sermons over this passage. I probably even preached on this passage, saying, we have to become like children. Look at children. Children are innocent. Children 
are trusting. Children are pure. And I preached those sermons. And then I had kids. <laughs> and I don't know about yours, but mine were broken. <laughs> they weren't pure. They weren't innocent. I discovered as a parent, I never had to teach them how to be mean. They had that figured out. <laughs> so what is Jesus talking about? In what sense are we supposed to become like children? Well, fortunately for us, he tells us what he's talking about in the passage. He says right in this passage, that you have to be humble like this child. Anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not about their innocence. It's not about their purity. It's about the fact that a child is literally lowly. Now, some of the translations say, Humble, and that's fine. That's a reasonable translation, but the word actually means they're low. A child has no rights. Did you ever think of that? A child cannot own property legally. If a child is given property through a will, it has to be set up in some sort of a trust because there has to be an adult who signs on the bottom line. A child couldn't own property. They couldn't argue in the courts. In Israel, a child was not even named until they were eight days old. They couldn't even have a name until they were eight days old. They were lowly. And Jesus said, you got to become like that. Now that makes sense when we see what the context is about. They were arguing about who'd be greatest. Jesus says, now you got it wrong. You have got to become lowly like a child. Now this concept's carried on throughout the rest of the New Testament. Paul talks about it in the book of Philippians. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests. Take an interest in others too. What Paul says is being humble is about learning to be involved with other people. Stop focusing on yourself. Look to others. James mentions this too. James actually quotes Proverbs 3, 4 in the Greek version. The scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll free from, flee from you. I'm interested that James 
ties this idea of humility to resisting temptation. It's like James thinks that this may be at the center of what sin actually is. We're going to come back to that. Peter talks about it too. He quotes this very same passage. But all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. Now, all throughout the rest of the New Testament, the, the, uh, the, the early leaders of the church apparently felt that this was a key issue. Learning to be humble. Learning to lose your pride. This passage in Matthew, Jesus takes a child as an object lesson. And it's all about humility. Now, Jesus does it to just call this child lowly and say, we need to become like that. Well, that's good. That's important. You know, I look at that, and I look at what's going around. I look at the way people talk to each other. I look at what we do to each other, and I don't see that. I see people trash-talking each other, making sure that you know how good they are. The early church fathers wanted us to be aware of how rotten we really are. They wanted us to be aware that we need God at every moment of every day in our lives. They wanted us to be aware that deep down inside there was something within us that drove us to God. We need God because the tendency of our own hearts is to just focus on ourselves. St. Augustine wrote about this principle in a book called The City of God. There, he talks about a principle that he calls incurvatus in se. That means curved in upon yourself. He says the two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly city is formed by the love of self even to the contempt of God. The heavenly city is formed by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The former, in a word, glories in itself. The latter glories in the Lord. In curvatus in se. It's that tendency that we all have to focus on ourselves, to just be tied to ourselves. And I believe that is the essence of sin. If you look at sin, no matter what it is, you can trace it back to our desire 
to focus on ourselves. We want the best for me. So I did what I frequently do at this point. I googled incurvatus in se to see what was out there. And I found this poem. Now, I'm not big on reading poems during sermons, but this one stood out to me. iPad, iPod, iPhone, I gaze, netted in an endless downhill maze, captive to the entertaining tool under a heavy yoke with feeds for fuel. You'll notice the first words of these lines spell out the word incurvatus. Isn't that clever? <laughs> Riveted by the endless scroll of news, victims of the same old stale peruse, a hundred checks and glances every day. Time slips and slides and vanishes away. Unwittingly, we stare down at our screens. Sedentary. Proud slaves to our machines. In internet, there's hope for immortality. No need to search in meaningless reality. Save us from the God to which we bow. In the endless curve, we inward plow. Now, I am not saying that your phone is the source of sin in your life. Your phone is a very useful tool. It's important. I'm glad you have it. And the time that we can spend on our phone, that's, that's great. But come on now. Don't we have a tendency to spend too much time glued to our screens when we very easily could be talking to the person sitting next to us. It's our sinful nature, our tendency to be incurvatus and see that takes a very good, useful tool and turns it into an addiction that detracts and draws us away from the people around us. It allows us to become even more curved in upon ourselves. Phone uses isn't the only expression of our sin. We have a tendency, just as people, to focus on ourselves. Do you know what? Here in this passage, Jesus calls disciple makers to give up their self-interest. To get rid of that self-focus. Jesus calls us to focus on others. And then to drive this passage home. He goes on to say, Matthew 18, 5. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. He goes on to say, that our role in life should be reaching out to the lowly, reaching out to those around us who need us. 
Not focusing on ourselves, but focusing on them. We should welcome the lowly into our homes, into our fellowship, into our churches. There was no advantage for welcoming a child. You welcome an adult, and then they owe you. And you can expect to be paid back when they would welcome you into their homes. But you welcome a child, there's no advantage. Jesus says, that is what your life is to be. Reach out to the lowly around you. Reach out to people for whom there is no earthly advantage for you. Reach out to them simply because they have a need and you can supply that need. We're to welcome the lowly. The disciples were focused on themselves. Jesus wanted them to lose that self-focus. He wanted them to focus on others. Disciple makers focus on others instead of focusing on themselves. So what do we need to do about this? We have the habit here of New Hope, spending just a couple of minutes at the end of each sermon reflecting on a few questions that might help us to take that message from the Lord and do something about it. So this week, ask yourself, where have I allowed myself to become curved in upon myself? Now, it may be that your life is not totally self-focused. People whose lives are totally self-focused typically are behind bars. But what part of your life has consumed your interest? Where have you allowed yourself to become curved in upon yourself? Then look around yourself at that sphere of influence that you have your family, friends, your colleagues at work, neighbors, people in different fellowships that you are part of, who in your personal sphere of influence do you need to focus on this week? If you're going to stop focusing on yourself, who will you focus on? I bet there's a name that answers that question for you. Then, what can you do this week? What thing can you do to focus on them tomorrow? Think about these things as we bring our service to a close. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. 
If you would, do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform. We would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.